Good afternoon. Since the last MTF conference two weeks ago, we have seen a rapid increase in the number of locally transmitted cases reported daily. Currently, we are almost at the 1,600 cases, and if the trend continues, the number of cases is likely to double to 3,200 a day by next week and may even increase beyond that after that. We are also keeping a close watch on the number of serious cases. Today, the number of serious cases is still manageable. However, based on our experience, it takes about a week to 10 days or more to, for positive cases to show complications. If positive cases continue to rise rapidly, we will expect to see the number of serious cases rise also. In fact, we are already starting to see a rise in the number of persons requiring oxygen, admission into ICUs, and deaths, mostly from cases detected some weeks ago. While we watch the ICU cases, the rapidly increasing number of new cases is also of concern, as it is putting a serious strain on our hospital resources, despite the shift to community and home care. To ensure our healthcare system can continue to cope with these cases, we will need to take action to slow the rise in cases to protect our hospital system. First, we will make further adjustments to our healthcare protocols so that only those who need hospital care will go to the hospitals. Minister Ong and DMS will elaborate later. We will also tighten some of the safe management measures to slow down the increase in the number of cases. This was a very difficult decision for us as we know that this would affect many businesses and people. While doing so may not reduce the number of daily new infections immediately, it will allow us to slow down the speed of increase and avoid overtaxing our healthcare workers. It will also give us time to accelerate the scaling up of our support for home recovery and our community care facilities. Therefore, for one month from 27th September to 25th October, social gatherings will be reduced to no more than two persons. The number, of allowed, the number allowed to dine in at FMB establishments will also be reduced to two, and both have to be vaccinated. For hawker centres, the number of persons allowed to dine in will remain at two, regardless of vaccination status. Workplace interactions should be minimised, with work from home being the default as many transmissions occurred at workplaces. We would also like to urge everyone to reduce their social interactions during this period. And for the seniors and vulnerable persons especially, please stay at home if you can. Testing remains key to detecting infections early and minimizing the risk of further transmissions. The government had earlier announced that it will be providing eight antigen rapid test kits or ART kits per employee for companies whose employees are not subject to mandatory roster routine testing. Employees are strongly encouraged to self-test regularly. We will also like to urge everyone to make testing a way of life and self-test before visiting crowded places or visiting those who are more vulnerable, such as children, elderly or children. 
uh, there is no need to rush to pharmacies and retail outlets to stock up on ART kits. We have an adequate supply of these kits despite the increased demand in recent days, and we will continue to work with distributors and retailers to ensure that they have sufficient stock. In addition, we will be expanding our vaccine booster program. We started the booster program on 15 September for seniors aged 60 and above. The expert committee on COVID-19 vaccination has now recommended for persons aged between 50 to 59 years old to also receive boosters so that they too can continue to, to enjoy high levels of protection against serious illness. I would like to take this opportunity to thank our frontline healthcare workers who have been working tirelessly over the past 20 months. You have sacrificed with your time with your family and your loved ones to keep the rest of us safe and well, especially during this period. I know that many Singaporeans and businesses will be disappointed at, at, uh, by today's announcement. I want to assure you that Singapore remains committed to reopening. We will continue to work with businesses to implement these measures and prepare for reopening. And Singapore will remain connected to the rest of the world. The journey may take longer so that we can do so safely. I seek your patience and support while we adjust our response to ride this wave and future waves of infections. Thank you. I'll now call upon Minister Ong Yi Kang to give his statement. Thank you. Let me start with addressing some of the concerns and frustrations uh, with regard to the Home Recovery Programme. It is a very important programme to help us live with COVID-19 and a very good example of how we are making a transition to a COVID-resilient nation. Because it's just like when we come down with other endemic diseases, we recover mostly at home when our symptoms are mild. And this is the case for the large majority of patients with COVID-19 infection, especially if they are young, if they are healthy, and they are fully vaccinated. So home recovery, the other important aspect is that it ensures that hospital beds are reserved for people who truly need them, where the symptoms are not mild, when they are severely ill. I want to emphasize that persons on the HRP, the Home Recovery Program, you are not left on your own to recover. We have introduced measures such as telemedicine to support you and care for you. The high number of cases in the past couple of weeks struck us before we can fully put them in place. And so I fully acknowledge that the past few days have been frustrating for you if you are undergoing home recovery. So we are taking immediate actions and we have taken immediate action to address these concerns. Number one, we are receiving support from the SAF, which has augmented our resources and capability significantly. Second, this allows us to progressively clear the backlog that has accumulated over the past few days. And so we are actively, proactively reaching out to affected individuals, delivering the care packs on request. Third, we have joined their Telegram chat groups. It's very good that they started this to provide support to each other. 
and we have joined it so that we are able to answer your queries and also at the same time put out many of these common queries and confusion and clearing them through the mass media. So you have noticed uh, full page advertisements today, starting today. Fourth, we are expanding our hotline operators to assist those who want to have a call and talk to somebody with a, with a query. I must acknowledge that there's even a private sector company that reached out to us and pledged their core operating resources to help us out during this period. Fifth, we are beefing up the telemedicine resources, including roping in private sector primary care providers to, sub to provide the telemedicine services. Six, we are also getting support from the People's Association so that volunteers can also provide community support to the affected families. And bearing in mind whatever they do, it has to be contactless. So I'm confident that with all this hard work and all the help and support that we are getting, especially the SAF, the teething issues will be resolved as we speak. Now let me talk about the state of the pandemic. At the briefing last week, um, I mentioned three uncertainties that we are dealing with. Number one, which is the trajectory of the daily infection cases. Number two, the number of patients who are severely ill and require ICU care. And number three, whether our hospital system becomes overburdened, whether it's able to cope. So start with the first uncertainty, the trajectory of daily cases. It is now on its fourth doubling cycle, 100 to 200, 2 to 4, 4 to 8, and now 8 to 1006. Fourth doubling, doubling cycle. If you track this fourth cycle at its fastest, local community cases, excluding the dormitory cases, they were doubling six, seven days. It is slightly longer now, so there are some signs of a slower rate of increase. Be very clear, cases are not declining. We are just observing that now the pace of increase, there's a slight slowing, but it's very early days. We are all hoping and working towards this trend continuing and for daily infections to eventually turn the corner. As of now, it is still increasing and each daily jump <coughs> is a big absolute number and adds pressure on our healthcare system. So how the trajectory will turn out in the coming weeks is a key uncertainty, remains one. Last week, I cited it as one. This week continues to be one. So looking at the momentum, it will cross 1,600 cases a day and proceed to its next doubling cycle to 3,002. Whether it completes, we don't know. Whether it gallops there or whether it slows down and reaches there slowly, this is something we need to observe. What we do know is that no transmission wave lasts forever. At the current 1,600 cases a day, it translates to about 26 cases per 100,000 population per day, 26. Eh? So it is lower than what is experienced uh, in UK and US now. They are about 40 to 50, but higher than many other European countries that have reached an equilibrium. 
such as Germany, France, Italy, Spain, they are about 7 to 10. Yeah. So, this is possible reference point for us. If we carefully chart our way forward in this transition journey, we are likely, well, in fact, I think we will see cases continuing to rise. At some point, it will turn before coming down and stabilizing uh, at a level that represents a new equilibrium. And at that point, we will emerge much more resilient. And this is what we are working towards. The second uncertainty, the number of patients who fall seriously ill or die, it is rising in tandem with daily infections, but at a much lower level. And this is due to the protective effect of vaccinations. So as Min Gan say, they account for a small proportion, 0.3% of total number of people infected. This would not be possible without our massive national vaccination program. So we continue to see a much higher incidence rate of severe illnesses and deaths amongst unvaccinated elderly individuals. As of yesterday evening, we have 23 ICU beds occupied. And as I mentioned earlier, we are able to stand up almost 300 ICU beds at short notice, which means as of now, the situation remains stable we need to watch it very closely. ICU numbers lack infection numbers by 10 days, 14 days. So we will expect ICU numbers to rise in the coming days. And some of them, especially if they are unvaccinated, elderly, or with underlying illnesses, will unfortunately succumb. DMS, Kenneth Mark, will speak more about this later. The final uncertainty, whether our healthcare system will be overburdened. And this is the most immediate concern now. Remember, we mapped out a four-stage transition process. Preparatory stage, then transition stage A, then stage B, and finally, an endemic stage. So on 19th August 2021, after over 75% of our population were fully vaccinated, we announced that we enter the preparatory stage. And we started to implement a ramp-up plan to expand our capacity to cope with higher number of cases when we enter, when we have to go into the later transition stages. And we also, at the same time, started adjusting our healthcare protocols, if you remember. At the preparatory stage, which is now where we are, we still have many safe management measures in place. There's a mask requirement, uh, group sizes of five to go to a restaurant. You must be all be vaccinated. Hawker centers, no vaccination requirement, but limit to two, event size cap, so on and so forth. But despite this, Delta variant doesn't follow our script. So it transmitted through the community and is driving up daily cases much more quickly than we expected. Before our ramp-up plans are fully implemented and before our support systems are fully in place. But nevertheless, this is the nature of the virus that we have to deal with. It is what every country has to contend with and the inevitable path forward if we want to live with COVID-19 and regain our normal lives. So we need to ride out this wave of transmission 
as best and as safely as we can. The exponential rise in infections over this very short period of time during the preparatory phase has put our healthcare system under a lot of pressure. Our healthcare workers are stressed, but I'm very grateful for their very high level of dedication to care and to serve their patients. And they are holding up, they are doing their best to cope with the situation. So as a community, we should give them our full support during this period and for doing their job so professionally and with so much commitment and dedication. We, at the same time, we are going to accelerate the implementation of our ramp-up plan. This includes the following. First, increasing the number of COVID-19 hospital beds from 1,000 to 1,006. This is done. But it comes at, an, at the expense of some degradation of normal services. So some electives, you'll find that we have to postpone them. Second, protecting our people and resources, which is why we announced, MOH, we announced that hospitals are not allowing visitors for four weeks. So this minimizes the chance of the outbreak of a big cluster in any of our wards. Third, stepping up our CCF, community care facilities, by over 1,000 beds from 3,005 to about 4,600. And this will be done by end of this week. We are able to stand up a thousand beds because we planned for this when we entered the preparatory phase. So this can be done right now. Fourth, commissioning a new class of facility. Initially, we call it stepped up CCFs. They are better resourced and better equipped for closer monitoring and management of patients with chronic illnesses. So in fact, after reviewing, we find that they are actually closer to hospital beds than CCFs. And so we have renamed them and called them CTFs, Community Treatment Facilities. We have commissioned about 300 CTF beds this week. First one opened today. And planning to open another 700 beds at Changi Expo and another 200 at Sengkang Hospital. And this will be done in the next couple of weeks. We are seeking help from private sector hospitals as well as the SAF to operate these CTFs. Most importantly, expanding the home recovery program that I spoke about earlier. Today, over 40% of daily cases go on home recovery and the proportion is rising. And without that, without the home recovery program, the system will have been overwhelmed already. So it is important that we get it right and give uh, everyone on the HRP their proper medical support. CTFs and home recovery are new care models and DMS uh, will speak more about them later. In addition, we have a good start to our vaccine booster program. It will add a further layer of protection, especially to our seniors. By the end of today, we would have invited about 605,000 seniors above the age of 60 to book their appointments. The uptake has been good and encouraging. So, for example, the first batch of invitations we sent out, almost 70%, and in fact, 
have taken their injections or booked their appointments. So across all batches of invites, over half has done so, and the numbers are rising. So thank you for that, and I think please come forward, take your jabs and take your boosters. When most have booked their appointments and we know that the crowd is sufficiently spread out, we will open our vaccination centres for walk-ins. As mentioned by Min Gan, the EC19V has also reviewed international and local data on the safety and efficacy of boosters for those in the 50 to 59 age range and has recommended their inclusion in the booster programme. MOH agrees with our recommendations, and you will be invited to take your booster shots via SMS next week. With all the above efforts, I believe we can cope with 2,000 to 2,500 cases a day. It will be quite stretched, I must say. So I hope it will be a temporary basis before cases drop rather than on a sustained basis. However, we will bound to cross 1,600 cases a day. And if daily cases continue to rise exponentially, we may see a doubling, a fifth doubling cycle to 3,200 cases a day within the next 10 days or two weeks. So when I mentioned in an earlier press conference that cases might go through five doubling cycles to 3,200, it was not an exaggeration. Will it happen? We don't know for sure, but it is possible, and we better be prepared for it if we want to ride this wave successfully to emerge as a more COVID-19 resilient nation on the other side. So there are three things we need to do. First, even as we prepare ourselves, if all the things I said we were doing to handle 2,500 to 3,000 cases a day, we will start activating the plans to be ready to handle 5,000 cases a day. Second, we will need to tap on the brakes to slow down the increase in cases, to spread it out over a longer period of time, rather than a sudden sharp increase that we don't get overrun by the virus. This phrase that I just said, slow down the increase in cases, spread it out over a longer period of time, it is added in by one of our medical experts in MOH. It's a quite a profound statement. Maybe I try to explain it a little bit. We spread the cases over a period of time because there is quite a good basis to believe that you want to be resilient to COVID-19, there must be enough antibodies in the society, which means the number of infections actually can't change very much. But you don't want it to happen within a short period of time with a high peak that make our system overburdened and unable to cope. But by tapping on the brakes, you spread it over a longer period of time, still the same number of infections, but we can cope with it. Third thing we must do, and most importantly, each of us need to take care of ourselves and others around us. Get your booster or vaccination if you are an elderly, to get tested and stay home if you are unwell, continue home recovery if you are fully vaccinated and infected. And do cut down on our social activities to do our part to alleviate the pressure on our healthcare system and our healthcare workers.
I want to end by reiterating what Minister Gan has just said, which is that we are staying on course to transit to a COVID-19 resilient nation. It is the only way for us to recover from COVID-19 as a people, as a nation. But along the way, we need to adapt and adjust our plans depending on what Delta variant throw at us. We may seem like we are trailing some European countries which are or have reopened and living lives quite normally. But remember, they paid a huge price in human lives, mostly last year, which we will do whatever we can to minimize, which is why we are opening up only after we have vaccinated the vast majority of our population. So we will ride out this wave differently, safely and successfully. Let me now hand the floor to DMS Kenneth Mark. Thank you very much, Minister. This afternoon, I will share the situation in our acute care hospitals and the COVID-19 infected uh, patients who have had more serious infections requiring hospital care, what their status is. I also provide an update on our care models for patients who are well or mildly infected with uh, COVID-19 infection and who can recover safely outside the hospital setting, at home or in the community facilities that we have. Ministers shared about our rising daily infection numbers, with the daily new case numbers doubling at about every eight days. The proportion of cases that were admitted into hospital for care has fluctuated on a day-to-day -day basis. But since the introduction of our home recovery scheme, uh, we have now uh, about 40% of infected persons recovering at home and between 15 and 20% of infected persons presently still stay in the hospital, the remainder being cared for in our community care facilities. As our capacity to care for infected persons at home grows, and as we expand our CCF bed capacity and open new community treatment facilities, we expect that more infected individuals may recover at home. And this proportion must increase, it will increase, so that more than half of those who are infected will safely recover at home. The CTFs, which I'll share some details about, will allow more individuals who are presently cared for in hospital, but who do not require the resources of the hospital for monitoring or for treatment. Uh, these are the individuals that we think can be looked after in the CTFs instead. And we expect as we expand our CTF capacity progressively, the proportion of patients who then need care in the hospital to drop to perhaps about 10%. Amongst the numbers of persons who have been diagnosed with COVID-19 infection, we've seen a rising number of individuals requiring oxygen supplementation who are admitted into the ICU, and unfortunately, uh, as things progress, even die. Ministers shared the rise in the numbers of sick people in ICU having occurred in tandem with the rise in the overall numbers of infections. Presently, of those who ever needed ICU care or had passed away from COVID-19 illness, unvaccinated cases in the ICU or who have died compress, uh, comprise 1.54% of all unvaccinated cases. Of the vaccinated cases in the ICU who have received uh, care there who are, or who have died, this comprises 0.13% of all vaccinated cases. And this means if you are unvaccinated and get infected, your risk of needing ICU care or dying 
is nearly 12 times higher than those who are vaccinated but infected. The statistic is grim, but it is consistent with the experience reported in many other countries. So a plea once again, please get vaccinated if you are eligible but have not yet done so. If you have, if you have a beloved senior in the family who is still as yet unvaccinated, please encourage or make plans to bring your loved one to a vaccination centre as soon as possible. You may think that he or she is protected because he or she doesn't leave the home at all. But we've seen time and time again seniors being infected, not because they left the home, but because infection was brought to them by other household members who were infected but did not have any symptoms of their infection at the time of their visit. We've also seen some younger persons admitted to the hospital for COVID-19 infection. And amongst these cases have been several pregnant women. For a variety of reasons, some of these women have not been vaccinated during the course of their pregnancy. And perhaps this was because of a concern that the vaccine might affect their ability to get pregnant or that the vaccine would harm the fetus. Real-world data has shown the opposite. Pregnant women are at a higher risk of getting a more severe infection and getting severe complications arising either involving the infection itself or the pregnancy. They are at a higher risk of needing ICU care and their risk of dying is also higher. The College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists within the Academy of Medicine Singapore and the Obstetrical and Gynecological Society of Singapore have come up with very strong advice to the public for women who are pregnant to get vaccinated as soon as possible within their pregnancy. Unfortunately, we have already seen some pregnant women in hospital and in the ICU, and we do not wish to see many more such cases here. While the overall number of ICU uh, cases remains low and well within our current capacity to accommodate them, we are mindful that the number continues to rise albeit with a lag of about one to two weeks, which is the time taken from the onset of infection to the time a person starts to show clinical deterioration. And we are concerned that if the trend continues, as shared by Minister, there may come a time when even that overall surge capacity that we have, it may be inadequate. So we are monitoring the situation closely, working closely with our hospitals on our preparations and our plans to increase our ICU bed capacity as needed. Minister has shared that the rate of rise in the community COVID-19 infections being faster than what we had initially projected. And while the overall number of cases admitted into hospital still remains within our overall hospital bed capacity, the rise in numbers on a daily basis burdens our healthcare workers, who are already very busy caring for the existing patients in the hospital. They have been working at a very fast and a very high-intensity pace for the last one and a half years looking after COVID-19 patients. They remain committed to looking after patients who do have more severe infection or have other medical conditions which worsen after COVID-19 infection. But we rec recognise that we started from the position of originally admitting all patients with COVID-19 infection into hospitals. And some patients were admitted as a precaution because we recognise they had high risk factors for deteriorating later but who otherwise currently are mild or have no symptoms. So they don't need much care presently in the hospitals, and in fact most of the time, other than to be monitored. Out of every seven to eight persons that we admit into hospital, 
only one to two of these persons eventually do develop a more severe illness. And this is why we have introduced new measures within our hospitals to better manage patients while they recover from their infection. We are reviewing and we have reviewed already some aspects of our risk prognostication and triage framework so we can more accurately predict who is more likely to deteriorate. This also means that more people then, if we have uh, got it right, more people will not need to be admitted into our hospitals but can be safely cared for in community facilities. Our doctors conduct daily medical conferences to see if patients can discharge earlier and can benefit from staying in those community facilities to recover under monitored care. We've worked out a new care model with the introduction of the CTFs or community treatment facilities which pro provide more comprehensive medical support than what is available in the CCFs for stable patients with minimal or mild symptoms but with higher risk factors. The facilities will have a larger medical team comprising doctors and nurses with a higher doctor-to-patient and nurse-to-patient ratio compared to the CCFs. They are also equipped with more medical equipment that can handle elderly patients with chronic illnesses and comorbidities, and this will include uh, vital signs monitoring. We are working with the acute hospitals so that they can partner these CTFs and extend specialist support as needed. The medical teams on, the, on site in the CTFs are augmented with telemedicine support and the medical teams will provide general medical care for recovering patients coming out from the hospitals if the condition of these patients worsen due to their infection they will make the arrangement so that these patients may move quickly back into the acute hospital for appropriate care MOH will provide support to the CTFs and facilitate that close partnership between the CTFs and the hospitals for uh, community-based care. The CTFs just opened this week, with the first being the NTUC Health Nursing Home at, in Tampines. Connect at Changi will also operate part of its capacity as CTFs, and that minister has already shared our plans to further expand that bed capacity over the next three to four weeks. We already have CCFs or community care facilities in place, and these will continue to care for those with no or mild symptoms or who do not have those high risk factors for severe infection. Where, while many of them would uh, ordinarily be able to recover at home, these would be individuals who, for a variety of reasons, are unable to safely isolate at home for their recovery. They will also look after some of the clinically well COVID-19 patients who previously were in hospitals but are making such a good progress and recovery from their illness that they no longer require acute care. There are 10 CCFs operating presently. As for the CTFs, each CCF will have a medical team on site providing primary care of, uh, for these COVID patients and the services will again be supplemented by telemedicine services after work hours. We will continue to ramp up the capacity of our CCFs in tandem with the rapid rise in numbers of COVID-19 cases in the community. The Home Recovery Scheme is the default care management model for the majority of our patients who are infected with COVID-19, but who are minimally symptomatic and do not have any of the high risk factors for severe infection. Other patients may have also made a good recovery from the infection and would be allowed to transfer from the acute hospital or the CCFs to complete their recovery at home. For these patients, an assessment is first made to determine whether the home environment is suitable for the safe isolation of the infected person so that there is no risk of spread 
of infection to other household members or to the neighbours. The person on home recovery must self-isolate. He will be provided with instructions on what to do during his home recovery, and if he does not have a thermometer or pulse oximeter to monitor his own vital signs, a care pack is provided to them. A telemedicine provider is assigned to each person on home recovery, and we expect the telemedicine provider to conduct an initial remote assessment through video conferencing to ensure that the infected person is clinically well and understands his responsibilities and obligations. A home recovery buddy is also assigned, and he will be in touch to provide any assistance needed to settle the infected person uh, to this recovery process at home. The telemedicine providers have worked out ways so that they can be easily accessed at all hours of the day and night by infected persons who feel unwell and need medical assistance. The telemedicine providers also proactively reach out to their assigned patients several times in the first week to monitor their clinical progress. At any time, if the telemedicine providers assess the need for the patients to be further assessed through a physical consultation or needs additional care for their symptoms, the provider will arrange for the person to be conveyed to the hospital for further assessment and treatment. But in the event of a medical emergency, you know, such as they're having very severe symptoms, chest pains, shortness of breath, the sick person may also call 995 to activate an emergency services ambulance to attend to them quickly. Persons under home recovery will monitor their personal health by measuring their temperature, pulse rate, the oxygen saturation rate using the medical devices that we provide. They record these readings at least once a day using a web portal, which then is available for review by the telemedicine providers as needed. The telemedicine providers will also assist to arrange for relevant COVID-19 tests to be administered at home for, for persons under home recovery uh, before that person can be discharged. As we expand our CCF capacity, we welcome more doctors and healthcare workers to volunteer and support our patients either in the telemedicine service or as home recovery buddies. And MOH will provide more details soon concerning these schemes. With the tiered level of medical support made available for COVID-19 infected persons, we seek to provide care that's appropriate for their needs. More infected persons do not need hospital care and can safely recover at home. With our refreshed care model, we aim to protect our hospital resources so that, they, uh, so that those who are more seriously ill can continue to get the care that they need. Thank you. Good evening. Earlier this month, I had highlighted concerns about the rate at which the virus is spreading and sought everyone's cooperation to scale back your activities and help slow down the transmission. I thank everyone in Singapore for your cooperation. Based on our observations and monitoring, activity levels have indeed come down over the recent weeks. Unfortunately, despite our collective efforts, the virus continues to gain ground. Uh, we are now at 1,600 new daily cases, and as you heard just now, if the doubling of the cases continues, we will reach 3,200 by next month. At some point, this wave of infection will crest, but we don't know what the daily numbers will be at the peak or when this crest will happen. 
Meanwhile, we are seeing tremendous strains on our healthcare system and our healthcare workers. And that's why we need these additional measures to slow down the spread of infection. Minister Gunn just now provided a summary of the measures. They were apply from 27th of September till the 24th of October. So that's a one-month period, which we call the stabilization period. And we will do a mid-term review of the measures after two weeks. Let me elaborate on what these measures are. Uh, first, permissible group sizes for social gatherings will be reduced from a maximum of five persons to a maximum of two persons. So correspondingly, the maximum number of unique visitors per household will be reduced to two, and dining uh, group sizes will be reduced to two vaccinated persons. For hawker centres, we already allow two persons, regardless of vaccination status, to dine in a group, so that remains the same. Essentially, the Group size parameter will come down from five to two, and that, that will have implications for house visits as well as dining. Second, work from home will be the default. So we are returning to work from home as default for those who are able to work from home. Today's parameter is 50%. Up to half of the workforce who can work from home uh, can come back to the office, but we will go back to work from home as default. Those who are unable to work from home and have to go back to the office can do so, but we would encourage, we would strongly encourage them to do a self-test using the ART kits once a week. We are distributing these kits to employers so employers can make them available to their employees who have to come back on site to work and have them do these self-tests on a weekly basis. Those who are able to work from home, but from time to time you may need to return to the office for ad hoc reasons, we would also encourage you to do a self-test and to test negative before you go back to the office. So work from home as default is the second uh, restrict, uh, change that we are making. And then thirdly, we will have home-based learning for children. MOE had announced this earlier that primary and second special education schools will have home-based learning from 27 September till 6 of October. That's a Wednesday. So MOE will now extend the home-based learning period to 7 of October, which is a Thursday, but Friday is Children's Day. So effectively what that means is for the next from next Monday onwards for 2 weeks uh, the children, primary school children, will be undergoing home-based learning and the primary one to six students will return to school on 11th of October. We will also require private education institutions to implement home-based learning for all students aged 12 years and below over this two-week period. And during this period, in-person tuition and enrichment classes for students must also pivot online. Preschools, kindergartens will be open during this period, but parents are encouraged to keep their children at home if they can. So for home-based learning at the primary school level, we are doing it for two weeks, and then we will review thereafter whether or not it should continue. Uh, more generally, we encourage everyone to reduce their social activities 
and comply with all the safe management measures. And in particular, for the elderly, for seniors and persons with comorbidities who are more vulnerable to severe illnesses, uh, we strongly encourage you to stay at home as much as possible. We recognize that businesses will be impacted by these restrictions. They are not the same as the heightened alert restrictions because businesses can still open, but with the reduction of group sizes, there will be an impact on FMB, retail, and other businesses that are dependent on footfall. So the government will provide a support package to assist the affected businesses. Uh, let me highlight some of the key items in the support package. First, we will enhance the job support scheme to 25% for the period of 27 September to 24 October, and this will be for the sectors that are significantly affected by the tightened measures. Second, we will provide rental support for half the duration of the stabilization phase, which means for two weeks. So tenants who are occupying government-owned properties will enjoy a rental waiver of two weeks. For those qualifying occupiers in private commercial properties, whether you are tenant occupier or owner occupier, the government will provide a two-week rental relief cash payout under the rental support scheme. And the cooked food and market stall holders in centres managed by the NEA or NEA-appointed operators will likewise receive a two-week rental waiver. And then thirdly, we will extend the COVID-19 driver relief fund payout to support taxi and private hire car drivers as well. The total sum of this support package is $650 million. This will be funded from higher than expected revenues collected to date, so there will be no draw on past reserves. Um, let me say a few words in Mandarin on the support package before I continue in English. 我们将缩紧防疫措施，社交聚会的人数限制将从五人减少到两人。每户家庭每天只能接待最多两名房客。堂食的人数顶线将减少到两人。工作场所也将恢复居家办公的模式。我们将在两个星期后进行中期检讨，决定是否调整措施。为了帮助受影响的行业，政府也将提供援助，这包括雇佣补贴，还有两个星期的租金减免。我了解这是个非常艰难的时期，再一次缩紧措施肯定让很多
必定能克服这次的难关。谢谢。I share Singaporeans' disappointments on these new restrictions.、Uh, we had all hoped that we could put these restrictions behind us, especially with our high vaccination rates and with our plans to move forward to a COVID-resilient nation. But the reality is that with the current infection trajectory, our healthcare system and our healthcare workers are facing many pressures, and that's why we had to make this very difficult decision to apply some breaks and to slow down the rate of transmission. I would like to join my、uh, co-chairs in assuring everyone that we are still committed. To our reopening plans, and we are continuing to stay the course in our journey towards being a COVID-resilient nation. That's why you would have noticed we are much more targeted in our tightening measures this time. We are focused on reducing the group size so as to scale back social interactions. We have left many other parameters untouched. For example, we are still allowing mask-on vaccinated events. To continue, these are generally of lower risk, and they have not resulted in large transmission clusters. We are still continuing with our plans for travel. For example, we started the vaccinated travel lane pilots with Germany and Brunei, and the pilots have demonstrated that it's possible for vaccinated persons to travel safely. And we are still proceeding with our plans to allow our dormitory workers to come out and be in the community. So where we, it makes sense, we have allowed these measures to continue, and we will continue with these measures. But we are taking a careful, calibrated approach to tighten certain restrictions, and these will reinforce our own individual efforts to scale back our social interactions. By doing so, we will be able to stabilize our new healthcare protocols, especially for home recovery. We will give more breathing space for all our healthcare workers who have been working flat out throughout these past 20 months, and we will be able to augment our healthcare capacity further. This will also allow this period will also allow more people to have their first jabs and seniors to get their boosters. So I seek everyone's cooperation and support for these measures. Uh, even with these measures, as my co-chairs have said just now, we do not expect numbers to come down at all. In fact, they will continue to rise, but hopefully at a slower rate than before, so that we can ride through this wave without overwhelming our healthcare system. After this wave crest, and it certainly will at some point in time, the daily numbers will come down. But they will stabilize at a new level, which is likely to be much higher than what we have been used to before. In other words, we are not going back to a scenario of low daily cases anymore. It's not going to be possible because we are moving forward to learn to live with the virus, and we are continuing with our reopening plans. So that's part of the adjustment that we all have to make to prepare ourselves for the time when COVID becomes an endemic disease, and learn to live with more daily cases. But because of this rapid surge in cases 
and the stresses and strains we are seeing on our healthcare system and on our healthcare workers, we have to put in place these temporary breaks. I know this is not an easy time. It's hard for everyone to adjust to tighter measures again. I fully understand that. So I seek your understanding and support and your forbearance. Once our healthcare system is stabilized, once a new health care capacity is in place, we will continue with our reopening plans. Meanwhile, let's continue to support one another and look out for each other, especially our frontliners and our healthcare workers. We will get through this together. Thank you. Questions from the media? Thank you. Thank you, ministers and DMS. Now on to the Q&A segment. Dear members of the media, please remember to use the raise hand function on Zoom if you would like to ask a question. And a reminder to keep to one question only. If you are called upon, you will be prompted to unmute yourself. Please do so accordingly. May we have the first question from ST. Ray, please. Hi, good evening, Ministers. Um, thanks for the information. Um, looking at uh, some of these measures that we've announced, uh, I know Minister Ong mentioned that they were necessary because the ongoing rise in cases was faster than expected and uh, kind of caught us by surprise. Uh, and Minister Wong also mentioned that activity levels did go down over the last few weeks. So can we get a sense of uh, whether you have a theory or whether you have a sense of what was actually causing these, uh, this unexpected rise in cases? Um, despite the fact that social activities uh, did decline over the last few weeks. Thank you. I think we need to understand that the Delta variant is inherently highly transmissible. Right? The reproduction rate of the Delta without any safe management measures is easily around five or six. It's very transmissible. With all the safe management measures that we have put in place, with the calibrated reopening that we have put in place, we were able to bring the reproduction rate from a natural rate of 5, 6, down to about 1.5. That's already a significant reduction. But even at 1.5, we are talking about cases increasing, doubling every 8 days or 10 days. That's the reality. And to bring it further down requires a lot more effort. I think the collective efforts that we have made to scale back activities have helped. They have prevented the reproduction rate from increasing further. We are seeing some signs of it stabilizing. But even at 1.5 or slightly below that, the cases are still rising very quickly. And as I said just now, as we all said, um, because of the large base of cases, we are seeing stresses, uh, tremendous pressures on our healthcare system and on our healthcare workers. So that's what we are dealing with now, and that's why we are putting in place these measures to allow us the time to settle, stabilize our new home recovery protocols and also to augment our healthcare capacity. Just to add, and maybe put into context too, I think we are not the only one that experienced this unexpected rise in cases. 
um, most countries went through it and unfortunately their surprise came even earlier before they vaccinated their population. So they paid a huge price in having their healthcare system overwhelmed and suffering a very high casualty. We managed to hold on for almost 18 months, 19 months until now. And every country pays a price when you go through such a big wave. And in our case, it's now in the form of a lot of inconvenience, resource strain, and capacity under strain. And because we only encounter this after we have vaccinated fully the great majority of our population. So it is an inevitable path. And uh, this wave, while unexpected, I think we now at least we have a plan to ramp up quickly to try to meet it and resolve all the ground issues and operation issues. Thank you, ministers. Can we have the next question from Taobao? Yun Tuo, please. Um, thank you, ministers. Uh, I was just thinking that you know, most people, especially those who have gotten their vaccinations, they actually hope to regain some kind of uh, normalcy. However, with this latest round of tightening measures, I think many people will see it as a step back and uh, most Singaporeans, they also feel very confused, some even fatigued about you know, the measures going to and fro. So, and, and not to mention that you know, in time to come, we are expecting daily infections to rise even further. So what kind of confidence would you be able to give Singaporeans you know, that the current strategy to live with an endemic COVID-19 is on track and it's going to work out well? Well, we fully understand the disappointment and frustration um, by you know, when people hear about these new restrictions. Uh, we just want to perhaps call on everyone to also understand that we decided on these restrictions after very careful consideration and deliberation and only because of the concern that this new, this wave that we are facing, this exponential wave, is already creating tremendous pressures on our healthcare capacity, our healthcare workers, and we do not want this to be overwhelmed. So I hope this will be something that Singaporeans take to heart and that we can all rise up in solidarity to support our frontliners. As DMS said just now, they are working flat out to deal with these, the daily cases. There are a lot of them. And we need this time to stabilize the system, to add new capacity so that we can be better prepared. What, as, as all the co-chairs have already said, we are committed on our reopening plans. And the one indicator that we are committed is even in this huge wave that we are facing, we are not going back to a heightened alert. We are not going back to a lockdown but we are carefully identifying specific measures that will help scale back social interactions in order to slow down the rate of transmission. And as I said earlier, if you look at how careful and calibrated we are in doing this, we are not doing this across the board. We are continuing with various other events, many other parameters have not changed. Uh, even during this stabilization period, and certainly after we have 
ensured the healthcare system is stabilized after we have put in place the additional cap capacity over the next few weeks, we will want to continue with our reopening plans and we are fully committed to that. Perhaps I can uh, uh, add on to, to explain that um, it is important for us to have this period of uh, this um, uh, stabilizing phase to allow us to slow down the increase in the number of cases. I think the number of cases is uh, likely to continue to increase, but we do want to slow down the pace of the increase. Uh, the objective of doing so is to provide time for the healthcare system to be able to cope with the large number of cases that we are going to see in time to come. So these measures are not intended uh, to uh, significantly reduce the number or to bring it to zero, like what we have done before with the circuit breaker with the heightened alert. Uh, these measures are intended to slow down the increase. Uh, this is also a reflection of our determination to live with uh, COVID-19. The plan is not to uh, eradicate it, to bring it down to zero or a low number, but to give us more time so that we have uh, sufficient uh, capacity to be able to cope uh, with a, a large number of cases that we see every day. In time to come, it may continue to grow, but if we are able to stabilize it, uh, then we will be able to, then we will have a, our healthcare system will be better able to cope with the uh, cases that we see every day. Maybe let me add a few points. Uh, we made a lot of progress and we should be encouraged as a people. First progress, never take it for granted, we avoided massive deaths that most countries somehow wanted into, overwhelmed and had to suffer. We avoided that and because we work together as a people, number one. Number two, we then vaccinate. Today is actually 85% first dose, 32, 82% uh, second dose. Even those uh, seniors above 70 is now 90% uh, vaccinated. And as a result of that, when we see infected persons, over 98% have no symptoms or mild symptoms. That is a tremendous achievement. And so when we look, talk about our healthcare system responding, we are looking at how to help the final 2%. Yeah, but to help the final 2%, we don't quite know who they are because uh, severe illnesses takes time to progress. We may have to help 10%, 15%, but that's enough to put a lot of strain. But we are learning. The whole Singapore is learning. People are learning from MOH, from hospital. We are learning how to identify these 2% from the outset. If we can identify them from the outset and day one, I think it solves our problem. I think we are working on it. From the people's perspective, we are all also learning how to do home recovery safely. Don't pass to families. And this is new protocols. We have never gone through it before. We are more used to SARS protocol, where everyone is very off and then uh, isolated in a special facility. First time we're going through this because 98% have no symptoms or mild symptoms. And we have to make that work. And we're putting whatever we can to make that work. And we get through all this, even with a wave, three, four, five thousand, we should be able to handle it, provided we go through this together and adapt. And bearing in mind the fundamentals are there, 2% for quite sick. And as we go through one wave, of, hopefully not big waves, but waves like this, there are more and more antibodies in our society and we'll become more and more resilient. And there will be a point, a point where we settle at a new equilibrium. 
where we regain our normal lives. But that journey is not easy, and the only way is go through it together. Uh, I play football. I know once in a while you have a team. I play. You play in a team where everybody wants to score. So they all go forward and attack, leaving one goalkeeper and one defender behind. Poor guy. So, I think let's not leave our healthcare workers as the last line of defence. Track back sometimes, help defend, and I think that's what we are calling out to everybody now. Thank you, ministers. Next, can we have CNA Cheryl, please? Good evening, Ministers. Um, I know you've mentioned that it's hard to predict the peak of the current wave, but at the same time, uh, we're activating plans for up to 5,000 cases a day. So my question is, um, what is the threshold or point where, or how many cases per day can our healthcare system cope before it fails? Um, I mentioned that just now, with all the things we are doing, and because we had a ramp-up plan that we started doing, when we entered preparatory phase, I believe we can handle 2,000 to 2,500 to 3,000 cases. That's provided home recovery program implemented smoothly, iron out all the problems that people have been facing. And at the same time, we need to duck, dig very deep to prepare ourselves for 5,000 cases. So these are the parameters that we are working on now. So on one hand is the capacity. On the other hand, of course, last resort, there's always tapping on the brakes that we may have to do, like now. Thank you, Minister. Next, can we have Sashwan from Channel 8? Hello, good afternoon, Ministers and DMS. Uh, just other than the ICU and oxygen supplementation, I believe uh, members of the public are also very concerned about the bed occupancy rate and also the hospital resources. For example, as more and more people are under the HRP right now, so in case they, they really fall severely sick, is there even a resources ambulance to send them to hospital? Is there even a bed for them? Appreciate if we can also get a soundbite in Chinese. Thank you. Maybe DMS can answer and I'll try to translate. Uh, thank you very much uh, for the question. Uh, at this time, the bed capacity that we have uh, is adequate for all the patients who need uh, care in the hospitals. This includes our general ward, isolation ward beds, as well as the ICU beds. We did make plans in the previous few weeks to ramp up some of that capacity in anticipation for the rise in cases that we currently are seeing and we still have the capacity to increase the number of uh, beds dedicated for COVID-19 patients. However, when we look at the projection in terms of the rise in numbers, uh, we have concerns that in a few weeks, our system may be under pressure as we continue to ramp up in tandem with that rise. And this is why uh, we have taken uh, steps also to ramp up our capacity to manage COVID-19 cases outside the hospital whether in community treatment facilities or in community care facilities, and certainly the mainstay being in home recovery. We've set up programs to monitor patients where they are to make sure that they do not drop between the cracks. So if we pick up a person who shows more symptoms, is getting more sick, whether in the community care facilities or in, at home, uh, we have a commitment to make sure we can extract them out and quickly bring them to the hospital as soon as possible so that they can receive timely care for their medical condition as it uh, worsens, if it worsens. Uh, this involves the teleproviders 
uh, assessing, if needed, triaging and arranging for evacuation to take place through the ambulance fleet that, fleet that we have dedicated for this purpose, or if a medical emergency is present, to use the 995 emergency ambulance services who are committed to coming, attending and bringing uh, uh, patients to the hospital as soon as possible. At this time, our assessment is that the ambulance fleet, the uh, uh, capacity for our telehealth providers is sufficient to meet our current needs and uh, the, the needs uh, in the uh, coming futures and the numbers of cases in the community rise. That said, we continue to make further plans to ramp up uh, because we want to be prepared and not be caught uh, by, by increased numbers in the future. Uh, the measures that the MTF have taken to try and to slow down the pace of rise in cases is to try and support us in the healthcare setting so that we have sufficient time to ramp up those resources as needed so that we can indeed uh, stand up and be ready for the uh, numbers as they arise in the future. Uh, I wouldn't translate that. The most important thing is我们接种了两剂疫苗过后，大致上百分之九十八以上得到冠病的病人，轻微或者完全没有症状，所以对他们来说，真的冠病变成一种伤风感冒的这样一个一个想呃一个疾病。所以我们居家康复呢，是其实
治疗设施。这个社区治疗设施呢，他们的呃设备呢都比较接近医院，所以一些比较年长者可能会有一些疾病的年长者，我们就把他们安置在那里，可以观察他们，他们的风险，他们得到严重疾病的风险会比较高。所以我们把他们放在那边。所以现在这个星期呢，已启用了大约三百张的这个 CTA 床位。在计划来几个星期，我们也会在新加坡博览中心启用多七百个床位，盛港医院会启用多两百张床位。这样一来，一大批的这个呃得到冠病的病人可以安置在那里，就不需要呃征用到我们。呃，医院里的床位就这样，呃，这样的一个计划下，我相信我们可以很好的照顾我们所有的病人。呃、uh, ，Let me uh, add on to say that, uh, uh, I think uh, Min Ong has explained that uh, there are additional capacity being bring on uh, on stream, including uh, community treatment facilities. But it's important for us uh, not to test the limit. Don't stretch it to the limit. Because um, the virus behave, behavior will change from time to time, and we are still discovering uh, new things about uh, uh, the virus. So let us uh, work together uh, uh, to avoid testing the limit and do what we can, do each, each doing our part, whether it's uh, uh, recovering at home, whether it's staying at home to avoid social interaction or minimizing uh, social interaction, or uh, to work from home as much as possible. This way we help to preserve the hospital capacity for those who really need the capacity. So I, I hope uh, I can uh, appeal to Singaporeans to work with us uh, to play our part uh, to help to preserve the hospital capacity and to give our healthcare workers some relief so that they can concentrate on caring for those who really need the hospital care. Thank you. Thank you, Ministers and DMS. We will now take the last few questions. Next, can we have Chen Lin from Reuters? Uh, good evening, panelists. Uh, I would like to ask, have Pfizer and Moderna applied for full approval for their COVID-19 vaccines in Singapore? And is Singapore considering making them mandatory, especially for the seniors, if the vaccines get um, the full approval? Thank you. Uh, can I just clarify the first part of the question? Were you asking whether they've, they've applied for full registration? Uh, yeah, correct, correct. Yes, so uh, at this point in time, they have not submitted uh, uh, an application in uh, for full registration. Uh, they've done so in the US. Uh, Pfizer has uh, successfully obtained uh, uh, that full registration with the FDA. My understanding is uh, a modernist application is still being reviewed, uh, but they haven't submitted that data yet. So we have yet to uh, complete the evaluation process that will convert them from uh, a PISA to a full, uh, a full approval status at this point in time. Uh, we look forward, though, to uh, that uh, data being submitted in the near future. And once uh, um, uh, that data has been reviewed by our healthcare regulator, uh, uh, HSA, and uh, if uh, HSA thinks the data is more robust enough to allow for that full registration to take place, so that gives us greater confidence knowing that we can then use both mRNA vaccines across different uh, settings. Uh, at this point in time, because both of these uh, vaccines have a, as yet not received full registration, they're still only PISA approved, uh, the Ministry of Health has not made any plans to, uh, to propose for mandatory vaccinations using these vaccines. Thank you, DMS. Next, can we have Philip from Bloomberg? 
Yep, thank you very much. Um, I realize this briefing is about uh, tightening, but uh, looking at the imported cases, they remain in single digits. Uh, experts suggest doing away with quarantines as not worth putting thousands of people in isolation. So I wonder if this is something you're considering. Uh, and if you could clarify something that the DMS had mentioned in the tech briefing, that the numbers might actually, in the current trajectory, go up from 3,000 to 6,000, and yet we're preparing for just 5,000. If you could clarify on that point, please. Thank you. Let me deal with the first part on travel and travel measures. I think all of you are familiar with um, the system we have put in place. We have four categories. Cat 1, no quarantine is required. Cat 2, it's a shorter seven-day quarantine and can be done at home. Cat 3, it's 14 days, can be served at home. And, and cat four, the fourth category would be those that require 14 days quarantine in a dedicated facility. So in, in effect, our risk-based approach towards allowing travel already allows for us to you know, periodically, based on the latest risk assessment, uh, update the status of countries and we continue to do so regularly. So as more countries get updated to CAT 1 or CAT 2, then potentially the quarantine will be shortened or we will even have quarantine-free travel. On top of that, this is the base system that we have in place, four categories, but on top of that, we are continuing with vaccinated travel lanes, as I highlighted earlier. The two pilots that we had started with Germany and Brunei show very promising results. We had thousands, more than a thousand people travel, and we only picked up one case, and this was done uh, you know, even before that person came into Singapore. So we think it's possible for vaccinated travel to happen and to, for vaccinated persons to travel safely. So we will continue to see uh, on top of the base structures that we have put in place whether vaccinated travel can be expanded to other countries. Uh, Philip, uh, to clarify the, the numbers uh, that I mentioned in a different platform that was uh, during the tech briefing we had earlier, uh, there's no discordance with information that's being brought out at this media conference. At that particular briefing, I shared our concern about numbers continuing to rise and double every eight, uh, eight days. If it continues to double from, say, 1,005, we would easily see 3,000 the next week. And if we don't do anything there to let uh, to uh, uh, cause that curve to dip or to, to, to bend the curve, so to speak, then we would easily see another doubling. And another doubling means from 3,000 to 6,000. So the, the number that was mentioned uh, was in relation to the concern that if the trend continues unrestricted uh, along the current trajectory, that's the sort of numbers we will see. But we are not letting that trend continue as it is. We are doing something to try and slow down that rate of progression. We are putting in place act, uh, re, uh, measures that we hope would reduce the social interactions that people have in the community. And if we can reduce those social interactions, we hope that will allow that spread to retard a bit. And if it retards a bit, uh, we may not ever see that, uh, that number. I, I want to just add uh, some points on the travel lanes. We are going through this wave in order to strike a new equilibrium so that human society and virus can coexist. It's not an easy process, but the idea is to strike a new equilibrium. I like to explain to people is 
a bit like on an individual basis, if we fall sick and we recover from, or we are dealing with a chronic illness, you go to your doctor, doctor will say you need to, now that you have this illness, you need to change your lifestyle and your diet. So lifestyle, go out and exercise more often, that's encouraged. Go out and party late at night, that's not encouraged, the one do less. Food-wise, eat more vegetables, eat more fruits, eat less meat, eat less fried stuff. And usually we don't tell the doctor this is confusing. Why is it that some things I do more, some things I do less? You know, it's clearer if I do everything more, I do everything less. We don't say that because we, in, intuitively we understand we are striking a new equilibrium, a new balance. And that's what we are doing now. Where activities are driving up cases too high and adding pressure on our healthcare system, we need to do less. I need to dial back a bit. Where border control measures is so tight that it's hurting the long-term uh, viability of Singapore to make a living, we need to relax more. Which is why what Min Lawrence was saying, VTL continue, our, our categorization system, we continue to review uh, periodically because our students need to go overseas for attachment. All our workers in businesses, MNCs, they do need to travel to meet partners, suppliers, customers, visit their factories and operations. Researchers, scientists need to uh, have exchange. Some families will look forward to you know, having some family bonding time going overseas and back. So all this over-restriction will have a long-term damage too to our economy. And likewise, we were mentioning earlier that foreign workers, dormitory workers, they have been in their dorms for so long. We are starting a pilot to let them out, and I think it's the only sustainable way to do, to do things. So finding equilibrium in a way that is sustainable for the long term. Some things you'll find that we have to loosen some, some things we need to tighten. That is the phase that we are transiting in order to coexist with the virus. Maybe let me uh, reassure Philip and the uh, rest that uh, we are uh, continuing our uh, uh, discussion on the opening up more uh, vaccinated travel lanes as well as other uh, travel facilities. Uh, this is something that is uh, ongoing and uh, even now you, can, you will probably see that uh, we have increasing number of uh, workers returning to Singapore because it is also important uh, for some of our construction uh, uh, jobs, for example, to restart so that we ha they can complete the BTO flats uh, as soon as possible. So some of these are continuing and we are continuing to explore opportunities for uh, BTLs. By the same time, we also have to bear in mind that uh, the, uh, the pilot with uh, Germany and Brunei only started a few weeks ago. And the results, as Minister Wong mentioned, is very encouraging. We have just one case being picked up, and therefore we are expanding the VTL channel. And also we are also allowing businessmen who are serious businessmen who need to travel around the world. Their headquarters is in Singapore. If we do not allow them to travel in the region, they're just not possible to operate out of Singapore. So for some of these very critical business travels we are facilitating so that business can continue. Otherwise, uh, Singapore will be cut off from the rest of the world and this will cause uh, permanent damage to our economy and to our future. So it's something that we have to adjust, we have to calibrate, but we have to do so safely as well. 
Thank you, panelists. The final question comes from Fasiha from Mothership. Hi, Mr. So I'd like to ask, in terms of the train on healthcare workers, uh, can we have a sense of percentage of the number of hospital staff who are affected with COVID-19? And how will MH uh, deal with this? Should there be a shortage of staff? Thank you very much for the question. I don't have data uh, today on the number of healthcare workers who are affected with COVID, uh, um, but we will uh, see whether it's possible to compile some of the information from our hospitals and make that available to the media. Uh, we have been uh, reviewing uh, the situation in our hospitals, the manpower status. We are always concerned, no matter what that number is, about healthcare workers that are not able to then continue in their duties. And we would want to make sure then that our essential services are not compromised uh, within our hospitals, our healthcare uh, institutions. So we've been working very closely with our hospitals uh, to fine tune their processes uh, to ensure then that uh, these uh, services uh, uh, don't get adversely affected. That includes coordinating arrangements, uh, teaming arrangements uh, to make sure that business continuity uh, policies are in place and actively uh, uh, are practiced. Uh, when it comes to healthcare workers, uh, we've uh, uh, done more regular vigilant testing uh, of all healthcare workers uh, in the healthcare institutions that allows us to pick up uh, infections at an earlier stage and then mitigate the risk of any spread that takes place within the workplace, whether to fellow colleagues or to others. Uh, our healthcare workers provide direct patient care uh, uh, using enhanced uh, personal protective equipment regimes or PPE regimes. And we have assessed that uh, and are confident that uh, when they are um, using these PPE regimes, the risk of spreading infection uh, to patients, in fact, is extremely low. So to date, uh, with uh, good uh, compliance to these PPE regimes, we are confident that even if a healthcare worker were infected, uh, the chance of other patients uh, being infected would not be high, but nonetheless, as a precaution, those that are under direct care by that particular healthcare worker, we would uh, be isolating them, testing them, uh, but uh, we no longer draw wide uh, lockdowns and wide co uh, quarantine uh, rings as we used to do before. So all of us remember when Tan Tok Seng Hospital had to undergo the equivalent of a lockdown of the entire hospital as a result of uh, several clusters of cases arising and a concern about potential spread uh, to other patients, other colleagues and, and staff and visitors. Uh, we have fine-tuned our, our, our processes so much that uh, when other cases and clusters arise in other hospitals, we no longer need to lock down an entire hospital but a lot more targeted in, uh, in, uh, in uh, 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 putting uh, uh, these, uh, drawing these rings, isolating people and testing them uh, much more rigorously than before. Uh, and we think with these approaches, uh, it will be uh, possible for us then to mitigate uh, the situation when healthcare workers then get infected. The reality is that uh, we will see more healthcare workers uh, uh, turning positive on testing. This is not because spread is occurring within the hospitals, but it's a function of what's happening in the community. As more cases occur in the community, the chances of uh, spread in the community across households to people who are also working in healthcare arises. And it's not therefore a surprise that we do see healthcare workers also being infected as well. But what is important is to make sure that our processes are robust enough that no further generations of spread occur in the healthcare setting. And so far, we've been uh, reasonably confident that the measures we put in place are working. Let me also clarify that uh, when we talk about the strain on healthcare workers, 
is uh, not just about uh, healthcare workers facing the risk of being infected by COVID-19. But at the same time, uh, we know that it's very stressful for these healthcare workers to take care of uh, COVID-19 patients. They have been doing this for the last uh, 20 months. They have made significant, tremendous sacrifices. They have lost time with their families. They have to spend time in the hospital, in the healthcare facilities, taking care of these patients. So we have to uh, find ways to prevent uh, excessive load on them. And therefore, these measures that we put in place, hopefully we will be able to slow down the increase in uh, COVID-19 cases. And this, in turn, will then provide some relief to our healthcare workers to protect the healthcare system as well. So I think it's more than just uh, the, the risk of infection, but also the overall work pressure on the healthcare workers. And let, let us work together to help and support these healthcare workers by doing what we can to reduce the number of cases as we go forward.